0: if you will. I've been, um, for the past several weeks, sharing with you a message called the Artesian Church. And if I could take just a moment today before I bring today's uh, installment and um, just have you take another look at our, at our uh, um, main scripture. Jesus stood up and cried out Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 7, 37 through 39. If Jesus were to jump up in this meeting and cry out, I would imagine we would pay very close attention to what he said. And um, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the word says, out of his innermost being, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Well, one of the things that God is described as in the scripture is the eternal spring. The Lord is that living water. And the scripture goes on to say, right after this, Jesus continued talk, uh, uh, the Bible continues with the narrative and says that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, that we who receive the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord would flow out of our innermost being. And so I asked, the church a while, uh, I asked the Lord a while back and go, what do you want the church to be? And he said, I want it to be an artesian well. I want it to be an artesian spring. And the picture up there is actually a picture of an artesian spring in the middle of some town in America. I don't know when they tapped that thing, but whenever they did, it started to flow, and it's been flowing like that ever since. Now, the difference between an artesian well and the well that most of us are familiar with is an artesian well springs up. Once you tap it, it springs up under the pressure of its own power. You don't use a pump, you don't pump it up, you don't lower buckets into it. In fact, the only thing that you can do to it is stop it. You decide to stop it, but if you don't stop it, it's going to spring up and flow. You understand, that's why the Lord said, my church is to be an artesian well. Christians are supposed to be artesian Christians. And so the only thing that you and I can do is we can resist and suppress the move of the Spirit but we don't have to pump it up. You don't have to lower buckets into it. You don't have to strain. When we fast, when we pray, when we get into the Word, all those things that we do, we're not doing that to get God to move. D.L. Moody said over 100 years ago that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, is one big pent-up revival. God is always moving. The Spirit of God never takes a nap. The Lord never is Present somewhere, but that his miraculous power and signs and wonders and potentials are always there. Whenever the Lord comes in, you ever wonder why people feel pressure, they feel nervous when the presence of God is really moving? Because God always comes under pressure. His pressure is to open your heart and let me move. Open your heart. If you'll just open, God will pour forth. That's what Jesus said. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Glory to God. Amen. You can advance to the next one. This morning, what I want to share with you about is manifesting the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 17, and by the way, I'd encourage you, if you haven't recently, to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those three chapters in 1 Corinthians are all about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 introduces the subject of the fact that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives to bring gifts of the Spirit that He expects to be manifest out of our life. And then in chapter 14, there's some guidelines about those gifts flowing and moving um, and uh, tongues, interpretation, prophecy are specifically dealt with in the 14th chapter. And then sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is chapter 13. People call it the love chapter. It's always taken out of context, and it's quoted out of context, but it was written in context, in the context of the manifestation of the Spirit. The whole chapter about the agape, the love of God, is meant as an exhortation to us about how to move in the gifts of the Spirit be motivated by the love of God and the gifts of the Spirit will flow. Praise the Lord. And so it stands to reason that if God moves in the earth through us, that the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus does and that he said he wants to do, we'll we'll just use the phrase manifestation of the Spirit because that's what they are. The manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, it stands to reason that they will flow through us or not at all. And let me say that again. The gifts of the Holy Spirit flow through believers or they don't flow at all. Since God's chosen to work in the world through artesian Christians and by extension, the manifestation of the Spirit requires cooperation. It is a cooperative effort between us and God. Now the reason I want to lay this down as a foundation from the very beginning is because we have the idea that miracles are entirely up to God and we like to use the theology of God's sovereignty. And God is sovereign, isn't He? And He has sovereignly chosen to use you and me. So if, if don't think that the fact that God is sovereign releases you from responsibility to yield to the move of the Holy Spirit because he's not going to go around you and just move the gifts of the Spirit. Don't flow through the atmosphere. Don't flow down out of a supercharged spirit realm of some kind. All that mystical stuff, that's Satan's realm. Jesus said the devil's the, bo- the prince of the power of the air. So where does Jesus move? He moves in the hearts of, of believers. Hallelujah. Moves in the hearts of believers. And in fact, I want you to think about something. Of every church on the face of the earth that has true believers, blood-bought, born-again, children of God, meeting right now today all over the face of the earth, what percentage, what percentage of the activities of the church do you think are the manifestation of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 11 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given... For the benefit of all is given to each person. I want you to just touch yourself like this and say, I'm each person. Yeah, you're one of them. You're, if, if there's a each person, you are one of them. Is there anyone who thinks you're not part of the each person? Each person includes you and I. And so the manifestation of the Spirit is given to you and I. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm being, I don't think I'm being judgmental or uh, cutting this too short to say that I would bet that less than 1% of the activity of the entire church, believing church in Jesus Christ, is actually the manifestation of the Spirit. That is more than a shame. That's a crime. That's a crime against the Holy Spirit, that the Lord is not manifesting through us more. And remember that if, he's, if the manifestation of the Spirit, if the gifts of the Spirit are not flowing in our life and in our church, We can't blame God and say, God's not moving. We have to say, this is a cooperative effort. And if the artesian well is that living water that springs up unto everlasting life, then what we have to say is someone threw a spigot on that thing and won't open it up. Now, the artesian church, the artesian well, it could be a water fountain or it could be an irrigation system. It's entirely up to you. It's not up to God. It's up to you. Do you think that the Lord has sent the living water of the Holy Spirit into clear water, but He doesn't want to water anybody? He doesn't want people to drink? He wants them to die of thirst and dry up in sin? Do you think that's really the will of God? You and I don't believe that at all. We believe the Lord wants them to come to the living waters of salvation to drink in the revelation of the gospel. People don't get saved because there's no supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said nobody gets saved just because someone won a debate about whether there's a God. You can win debates all day long. People don't get saved because you convinced an atheist or a non-believer or a non-participant that Jesus is Lord. It's not until the power of the Holy Spirit touches a heart, breaks that seal of sin and darkness over their mind and heart, that people are released to get saved. He said no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And so if the Spirit of God does not take naps and give up and just say, well, I really don't want to visit you know, this community, then what's going on if the thirsty and the lost are not drinking and coming? The spigot is shut off. It's like when I was in school. You know those little water fountains where you kind of, it's got a spring on it. I don't know what you call it, but you kind of go, and it goes, and you have to be real quick, unless you're willing to hold it open. You just bump it, give it a little bump and that little spark goes Perm! and before it goes down the drain you've got to kind of get it and we did it all over ourselves. Um, I don't think they have those in schools anymore do they? Because they're probably not yeah, they're not sanitary. We, see we cared nothing for sanitation <laughs> when I was growing up. We had, actually we cared nothing for safety. We seemed to make it through pretty good, praise the Lord. Um, So at any rate, the point is, I don't want to digress, is that uh, the Holy Spirit has certain manifestations. And it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, after verse 7, it says, For to one is given prophecy to another tongues, to another interpretation of tongues by the same Spirit. Discerning of spirits, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healings, working of miracles, and the gift of faith. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit subgrouped into three categories, the gifts of power, gifts of utterance, and the gifts of knowledge. And I'm not going to go into those this morning, but let me just say to you that every supernatural act of God falls into the category of one or more of those gifts. There's not a single thing that God's ever done in the Bible or does today that is a supernatural act that is not the action of one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says all those gifts of the Spirit, what did God do with them? He gave them to you and me. There's a reason why they're called gifts. Everyone say gifts. The reason why they're called gifts is because before God can give it to the uh, the the diseased sick person, He's got to give it to you to give to them. Do you remember when there was the uh, multitude of the people and uh, they hadn't eaten for days and they were out in the countryside with Jesus? Disciples said, "Send them away so they can go to McDonald's and get something to eat." Jesus said, "McDonald's is too far." I'm a, I'm embellishing the story, but. Jesus said, McDonald's is too far. He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we don't really have it. We've got a couple of uh, fish sandwiches here. but That's about it. It's not going to feed anybody. We've got 5,000 men and then all the women and children. So honestly, there probably was about fifteen to 20,000 people. That's a lot, people. That's like a big concert. So Jesus is there. There's like about 20,000 people. He said, you give them something to eat. And they brought up a little a sack of, of some boy's lunch. So we got some fish sandwiches And Jesus said, give them to me. Now watch what happened. Give them to me. So Jesus takes them, lifts them up to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you. Blesses them. He broke them open and he started, he didn't toss them out to the crowd like, you know, concert frisbees. (laughs) He gave them back into the hands of the disciples. He said, now go feed them. I told you to feed them. Go feed them. You see, when we give Jesus our lives, he gives back to us the miracles that He wants us to give out to others. Amen. You understand what being a Christian is? See, we think being a Christian is getting a Bible, joining a church, a <laughs> uh, joining a church, and then spending the rest of your life like silver being polished once a week. We just come in, get a sermon that polishes up the silver. And that's what you do. That's what a Christian is the rest of your life. Are you a good Christian? Oh yeah, I'm in church every Sunday. You see, a a good Christian isn't someone who's in church every Sunday. A good Christian is out there passing out miracle lunch. Miracle lunch. Hallelujah. Do you understand? The manifestation of the Spirit. Now, since the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are supposed to be moving in your life and in mine, then there's three things that you and I need. We need three things if we're going to cooperate with the Lord. Those three things are understanding, desire, and faith. Understanding, desire, and faith. Understanding, first of all, 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So why have we received the Holy Spirit? So we can understand the things freely given to us by God. Well, what are the things that are freely given to us by God? Well, among other things, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, the gift of faith, working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are the things given to us by God. You say, well, what about the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit's not things. Fruit of the Spirit is the character of God being developed in us by the Holy Spirit. Patience never healed anybody. Long-suffering never cast the devil out of anybody. Those take the manifest power of the Holy Ghost. God wants to help people, but He's not going to do it apart from you and I. We are the body. He is the head. We're the bride of Christ. When neighbors come to Jesus' house and knock on the door, He just sits in the recliner. He says, honey, go get the door. We're the bride of Christ. When He welcomes them into His house, you think Jesus is jumping up and going in the kitchen and whipping up chicken and, and, and uh, black beans and rice and frying plantain? I so said, I'm getting carried away because my mind is thinking, <laughs> but no, he's already prepared all that. He says, honey, go in there and get that stuff I've prepared and feed it to our guests. That's what Jesus is doing today. Just when he, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so does the Lord want to miraculously help people? Yes, but He's going to do it through you and I. You see, the first thing we need is understanding. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 12, We have received the Spirit so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This is the first number, this is the first reason why we do not see the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church today. is people are ignorant of the gifts, it's not taught. Or, even worse, churches, if the subject ever does come up, are told, well, that stuff ended. That ended. God quit being God. At about 99 or 100 AD, God changed his mind and He no longer supernaturally moves through us. They say now, if, uh, because God is sovereign, if He chooses to do that stuff, He'll do it, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to the believer, to us. It doesn't say God just sits up there and wads up like wads of paper, wads up little miracles and flicks them out into the world every now and then haphazardly Just everyone, so who knows? God is so whimsical. You see, people have confused the word sovereign with the word whimsical. There's no sense to it. There's no, we can't figure out why some people get healed, why others don't. Why are are there supernatural manifestations of the the Spirit sometimes and others? When it's so clear, the Bible says there's a valve. You are that valve. The artesian well is in you, and you can shut it down or open it up. The first thing that will open or close that valve is understanding or the lack of understanding. The Holy Spirit's given to you so that you can know about the gifts of the Spirit. You see, ignorance is a dead zone, and a lot of churches are dead zones. It's not that the Holy Spirit isn't there, it's that He's not moving. You see, you could cap that well that we see in the picture. Would the water be there under pressure, ready to jump out, but no moving? Or if you made a water fountain out of it so that it only spurted once in a while, there'd only be a little occasional dripping. And so if there was only a little occasional spurt of the Spirit, you know, people would create a teaching that says God only spurts occasionally. They would. They would. Whenever Christians run into anything that doesn't seem to work, whenever Christians try something that the Word of God says and they run into resistance, they build a doctrine around it. Rather than say God's a continual flow and something must be holding this up, they create a doctrine that says, well, God's arbitrary. He's arbitrary, and nobody wants to call God arbitrary because that just doesn't sound right. So they call him sovereign. You see, sovereign to theologians is Greek for arbitrary, whimsical, and unreliable. The theologians teach an unreliable, whimsical God rather than roll up their sleeves, take a deep breath, hit their knees, repent before God, and say, Father, forgive us, for moderating the Word of God and bending it to accommodate our resistance to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? Always. That's one thing people do. They always resist, including me. I'm I'm talking about myself this morning. That's why I know this topic so well. Because I've spent a lot of years resisting the Holy Spirit. I hate, I hate the thought that God may throw me in the balance and find me wanting and say, you're righteous, I love you, welcome into my presence, but you spent more time in your life quenching the Spirit than you did yielding to the Spirit. You don't want to hear that, do you? I don't want to hear that. Really. Because every time I quench the Spirit, somebody doesn't get a drink. Somebody doesn't receive from God. I mean, how else are we to look at it? We have to look at it that way. Because either Jesus meant what he said when he said, you are the light of the world, a city should not be hid, a light should not be hid under a bushel basket, but put on, or he was just talking and didn't mean any of it. So either he meant it when he said it, and it had real meaning and real consequences, or he didn't mean it, and we should go on with church as usual and be satisfied. God should be happy he's getting what he's getting. Are you listening to me? You know, it's about time we start dealing with these subjects this way. But you know, the thing, the reason why I can say that with a smile on my face is because I know that within me and within you, God is a is an artesian well of love and grace and power, wanting to spring up and manifest always. So He's not there beating you because you've resisted Him. He's encouraging you so that you'll let Him flow. That's where the Lord is at. Amen? So you need to understand the gifts of the Spirit. Why? So you can recognize them when God is moving. If if the first thing you and I need to manifest the Spirit is a comprehension and understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, then we know that that's because God wants to cooperate with us. God wants to move through Pastor Antonio and Kaylee. And so if they don't know what the gifts of the Spirit are, then God could be moving on them, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't understand it. Have you ever been in a service or a prayer meeting and praying, and all of a sudden a strong impulse or thought's just there, it won't let go, and and you're like, wow, what is this? God's speaking to you about somebody, but you don't know what it is or what to do with it. it. happens all the time. I have had people come up to me and said. You know what? When that prophecy came forth in church, I was sitting there and the same thing. God was speaking that to me just a few minutes before. They don't know what to do with it because they are not understanding the gifts of the Spirit. So the first thing you have to do is understand the gifts of the Spirit so that when God's moving on you, you know how to flow with it. Right? Number two, desire. This is huge. This is so big. 1 Corinthians 12 and 31, I think it, uh, no, I didn't put it up there, but 1 Corinthians 12 and 31 says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show to you a more excellent way. It's the end of that 12th chapter. Verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts, or the greater gifts. Can I say to you, no desire, no gifts. Just... Make it simple. No desire, no gifts. Show me a church where the Holy Spirit is not moving, and I'll tell you there's no desire. The Holy Spirit will not move unless people desire Him to move. And and not just interest. I'm talking desire that moves you. Desire that says, like Rachel did, give me children or else I die. I'm talking about desire that says I can't go on. If I, if I have to go sit through one more service where God's not moving, I'm going to scream that kind of desire. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to say, God, we need the move of the Holy Spirit. No desire, no gifts. God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in 1 Corinthians twelve thirty one. but desire earnestly the greater gifts, and yet I show unto you a better way. Here's the problem. People want miracles without desiring the gifts. People want miracles without desiring the gifts. Why is that? Because they believe miracles float sovereignly through the air. They think if God wants to do it, He'll do it. How many times have we said that? If God wants to do it, He'll do it. Not unless somebody is seeking Him and then willing to be the vessel that He flows through. We pray all the time, Lord, heal the sick. We come around here before the service. We pray for the prayer requests. How many of us who are praying are willing to take the next logical step and say, Father, your answer is not going to come unless somebody is willing to put themselves in the gap and connect you in that need and be the vessel for you to flow through. How many of you that pray those prayers say, Lord, here am I. Send me here am I, send me. That's what God's looking for. This is where intercessory prayer has fallen short. Amen. Intercessory prayer has fallen short because people pray and then go home and make a sandwich and kick back, which is fine. Make a sandwich. I'm, gonna ha- I'm probably going to have some kind of sandwich uh, here after church. But the fact of the matter is that just praying and sho- it's you, that's like kicking the can down the road. Oh Lord, heal that person. Oh Lord, meet this need. But but what God what God is saying is I'm looking for somebody who will go and visit that person and lay hands on them and be the vessel that I can flow through. Where are the people saying, "Here am I, send me?" And I understand that most of the time it's not It's not because people say, I don't want that person to be healed or I don't want Jesus to be glorified. We've been taught bad teaching. We've been taught teaching that says you're not worthy. You're not holy enough. You're not spiritual enough. Or God doesn't want it. God doesn't do anything. You see, when things aren't happening, what do we do? We build doctrines around them to tell us we build boundaries that God never set. Hallelujah. We love Wilson. Why do we love Wilson? Because one day he just jumped up and said, Lord, I'm going to run down to the Ejos. If they kill me, they kill me. And bring the gospel. And now there's churches all over the place and God's moving. It just takes somebody to say, here, my sin, me. No desire, no gifts. When we want what God wants, we'll get what he gives. When we want what God wants, we'll get what he gives. You can't want to see God move supernaturally. Miracles, we call them. But not want the gifts flowing in your own life. It's absolutely diametrically opposed. You've got to want what God wants. How, How strange it seems... To approach God with a mind that says, I'm not sure God wants to relieve the suffering of the lost. I'm not sure God wants to deliver the oppressed. When the Bible says he healed all that were oppressed of the devil for God. How God, what is it, Acts 10, 38? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Is God not with Jesus anymore? Is Jesus not with us anymore? Or has the day of doing good passed and God said, I'm done doing good, let let some human good take over. Go make some sandwiches for some people. That's that's nice to do human good. That's fine, but you're not going to open the eyes of the blind with with human good. You're not going to deliver the oppressed with human good. Matter of fact, you're not even going to save anybody with human good. We need supernatural good. And the Bible says Jesus went about doing good And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Is God with us? Then the Lord wants to touch people. He wants to move. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. So when we want what God wants, we'll get what he gives. What God wants is for the gifts of the Spirit to flow through you. God wants the gifts of the Spirit to flow through you. So understand, get knowledge, stir up desire, In fact, when I talk about stirring up desire, I love the way that verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the best gifts. Listen to the way the Amplified Bible brings the meaning out from the original Greek. Earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the best gifts. Earnestly desire. How many of you in preparing for life, you have a vocation today or a job or something, that you earnestly desired, how many of you got where you are, but you did not zealously cultivate it. You just said, I want to be an airplane pilot. Poof! I'm an airplane pilot. I know that's the way people think today. You know, I identify as. I love the picture, I love the picture on the internet of the guy walking the two men in dog outfits down the street because they identify as dogs. So that's what people think today. I just identify and I just am whatever I think I am. But of course that is the height and the epitome of insanity. It's not just incorrect or, or immoral. It's just plain out insane. Anything that you really truly want, you have to z- zealously cultivate it. Amen. And Antonio's an engineer. When you got out of high school and you said, I'd like to be an engineer, i kind of interested in that. You didn't go down uh, to Raytheon and say, I want a job. (laughs) You spent four years zealously cultivating so that you had it to bring. His wife is a nurse, neonatal care nurse, did I say that right? Labor delivery, all right, that's right, that's right, delivery, that the natal care comes after. Uh-huh. You can see I didn't uh, do that. But at any rate, took four years or so of, of study to get there. So, earnestly desire the best gifts and zealously cultivate them, which means study, you guys had to study and train. You practice, you train. You study, practice, train. Study, practice, and train. When I was a young man and just a young Jesus freak, I spent hours. Uh, we didn't have cable TV, so you could spend hours thinking. <laughs> you know, now you just turn your mind off. Something thinks for you. But, um, you know, I, I spent hours just dreaming up messages in my mind and, and, and praying and seeking God and thinking about God moving and the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the book of Acts, and I'd insert myself into them. I'd just picture myself in there. I'd boot Peter out of the way, excuse me, Peter, step aside. I'm going to get in this scene. And just did that over and over and over and thought about it. And then every time I'd get together with God's people, or I'd be in a situation where somebody... Just expressed a need. I was always looking, where can I insert Jesus into this situation? So somebody would say, oh, the, uh, out on the street, oh, I'm not feeling good today. Oh, really not feeling good? You, Jesus can do something about that. And so what is that? Study, practice, study. Pr- I was practicing, I was studying, I was practicing on people, but uh, the gifts of the Spirit started showing up. Because I was desiring, I was preparing, I was zealously cultivating what I was learning about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you receive, as a Christian, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, see, this is why Holy Spirit-filled Christians understand this stuff. Christians, as they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they're like, I don't really get it. I mean, I understand academically what you're saying, but I don't... Spirit-filled Christians understand what I'm about to tell you right now. Spirit-filled Christians experience this internal urge to manifest. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that, that artesian well is you're under pressure all the time. But it's not downward pressure pushing you down, it's upward pressure trying to lift the things of God up out of your life. So there's an upward pressure in your life when you receive Jesus and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's an upward pressure pushing against your mind, against your soul all the time. And if you suppress it, you will get cranky. Every spirit-filled Christian understands this. You suppress... The flow of the Holy Spirit, and after a while, you will get depressed, you will become frustrated and confused, and then you will, s- you will sink into crankiness, and you'll be a spirit-filled, cranky Christian. Many Christians today who are spirit-filled are cranky and frustrated, and they don't understand why. And of course, they from the perspective of their own mind, they come up with reasons, well, Something like God doesn't really love me or I'm not that good of a Christian. I'm not doing this or that. And the reality, I'm going to save you a whole lot of time. And I'm going to tell you, the, in most cases, what's really happening is you have been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit so that the manifestation of the Spirit can flow through you and you're not doing it. And if you do it, you'd feel a whole lot better. If you would open up and let the Spirit flow through you, you'd feel a lot better. You would, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what Jesus said. Whosoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers. That's a happy Christian. That's a Christian that does not struggle with issues of why am I here what is my purpose, how come I'm not happy, I don't feel fulfilled, I went to the mall, spent a bunch of money, I still don't feel great, what's the problem? See, they don't have those kind of problems. There is, a, there is a divine, heavenly sense of purpose. And you know what? The devil can come, attack them, they go through trials, they're still happy. He can't knock the happy out of them. Why? Because they're the spring of living water, the manifestation of the Spirit is flowing. That's the secret that spirit-filled Christians have. Don't let it flow, resist it, crabby Christian. Let it flow, happy Christian. Everything, everything revolves around the flow. If you're an artesian well, shut it off and don't let it flow, crabby. Let it flow, happy. You got that? Good for you, praise the Lord. In fact, let me give you, there's a verse that is actually a theologically difficult verse. Theologians are, to this day, after 2,000 years, still struggling over James chapter 4, verse 5. It's a hard verse to interpret. There's all kinds of controversy about it, but I'm going to give you just a real simple, basic, healthy, orthodox way of looking at this verse. It says this, and you can see right off when I quote it to you why it might be difficult. Brother James says, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell within us? So he proposes a question quoting this verse. James says, the scripture says that God jealously yearns over the spirit that He has made to dwell within us. And he asks the question, do you think that, that God said that in His Word for no reason? Very simply, just avoiding all the controversy and confusion about this verse, in general, what that verse means is that God has planted the Holy Spirit in you and He is eager to see you yield to the Spirit. He jealously yearns Jealously yearns means that he hates to see you get all zealous over carnal things and remain dull to spiritual things. He he zealously yearns over the spirit that he has put in you. He has put the Holy Spirit in you and he is wanting that to become the thing that's most important in your life. He's wanting you to let the spirit flow. Be the airplane pilot. Be the mom. Be the dad. Have the vocation. Take the recreation. Live your life as a Christian, my goodness. But in doing it, wherever you go and whatever you do, let God flow. Let God arise, the Bible says, and let his enemies be scattered. You know, the Lord deserves it. He paid a high price for you and I. He paid the blood of Jesus. He should be getting something for that. I'm thinking. I I don't know how much he's getting for for his investment. He paid the blood of Jesus. What's he getting for it out of my life? A a sermon once in a while? A little something? I mean, when I think about what he's invested, I get convicted. Because I know that he is jealously yearning over the spirit that he's put in me. He knows a lot more can be happening. And he is jealous and yearning. Nick, move in my spirit. And that's what he's saying to you. And so understand that God wants the manifestation of the spirit to flow through you. And he has given everything you need for that to happen. You say, well, I don't I can't. I'm overwhelmed when I think of healing people or performing a miracle. Where would I begin? Well, you begin and end with Jesus. Because you're not doing it, He's doing it. You just let it flow. Just open it up, let it go, let it flow. Learn, hallelujah, to let Jesus move. Learn to let Him move. Be willing to do it. Want to do it. Get your desire out there. By the way, it says, um, earnestly desire and cultivate the best gifts. Anyone want to think about what the best gifts are? Some people say, well, after describing the gifts of the Spirit, Paul then said, but there's better gifts than these, like um, making sandwiches for people and uh, building hospitals. Why, you know, the gifts of healing's fine, but if you could build a great hospital, that's even better. Nonsense. Utter, carnal nonsense. The best gifts are the gift that's needed for the need. That's the best gift. A lame man sitting there, looks at the nine gifts of the Spirit, and he says, hmm, gifts of healings. A A person that is completely oppressed and bound, hmm, working of miracles. What is needed determines what the best gift is. I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. Praise the Lord. And God is reasonable. By the way, the phrase, a more excellent way. The Bible says, earnestly desire and and, and zealously cultivate the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then it goes into 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I have faith that I might move mountains if I have not love. And and once again, people dive into the love chapter and say, see, See, God doesn't want us running around prophesying and laying hands on people and casting out that. He wants us to love people. Well, if, if 1 Corinthians 13 is about agape, which is the love of God, then let's go flip some pages back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and let's find out. Let's ask my Brother Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how did Jesus love people? Open the eyes of the blind, heal the sick cleansed the leper. In fact, he said, what I've done, I want you to do. So, agape is God's love helping people. It's not just God's sentiment towards people. Do you understand? You can have sentiment towards people. You can have human affection. You can have empathy and sympathy for people. It doesn't do a thing for them. When someone's really hurting, Sometimes it helps; it mollifies a little bit if you're sympathetic. Oh, oh, poor thing! I feel feel for you, and you just you know we it eases up a little bit, but it doesn't change the situation when you get human sympathy. So it's good to have human sympathy, but if you think for one minute that God is saying you've been called to sympathize with oppressed people, what? What the more excellent way refers to, the agape, the love of God, is a more excellent way to do what? Rather than move in the gifts of the Spirit, God wants you to just have empathy for them? No, a more excellent way to desire the gifts. The Bible says desire the best gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way to desire the best gifts. That's what he meant when he said the more excellent way. He's referring to how you desire the gifts. If you desire the gifts out of selfish, carnal ambition, I want, to be a, I want people to think I'm spiritual, then of course, then you, you are actually hindering the Holy Spirit and you're losing before you've ever started. So what he's simply saying is, let the love of God fill your heart because God wants to heal them more than you want to heal them. More than you want to see them healed, God wants them delivered. God wants to manifest His Spirit through you more than anyone. So if you let the love of Jesus fill your heart, guess what? The love of Jesus has both the will and the power to meet those needs. Let me finish up by bringing this third ingredient that we need if we're going to manifest the Spirit, and that is faith. Understanding, desire, desire and faith. And I don't want to say a lot about faith. There's this wonderful scene in the book of Matthew that kind of says it all. In Matthew chapter 14, um, verses 28 to 31, Peter is in the boat with the disciples. The storm is raging, and they see Jesus walking through the storm, and they're completely freaked out. He's walking on the water. Now listen very carefully. Peter says, Lord, if that's you. You see, Peter is speaking to Jesus about his relationship. Lord, you're my Lord, you're my best friend. If that's you, call me to come to you and I'll get out of the boat and come to you. Without any thought of, is it possible for people to walk on water or anything, he just, he he overrides all of those thoughts thinking only about his relationship with Jesus. He says, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come to you and I'll come. And Jesus answers, with one word. What does he say? Jesus simply said, C-O-M-E, come. Peter hops out of the boat, his feet, boom, hit the water like I'm standing on this floor right now, and he starts walking on the water towards Jesus. Now, the waves were rocky and the wind was blowing, so there's a lot of unsteadiness going on. But he's looking at Jesus and he's just walking to Jesus on the water. He gets part way there and he can feel the unsteadiness of the waves under his feet, and he can feel the wind and the wash and the all over him. So his physical senses begin to interrupt this thing going on between him and Jesus and saying, Hey buddy, you're out of the boat. <laughs> and The Bible says he looks at the wind and he looks at the waves and starts to sink. And then he cries out and he says, Jesus, save me. Jesus reaches down and pulls him back up. And it says, when they got into the boat, Jesus said to Peter, Oh, you of little faith. He wasn't criticizing him. He was talking to him, you know, affectionately. "Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, folks, I've read this a thousand times. I bet you've read it quite a few times yourself too. And it just dawned on me that amazingly, Jesus points to Peter's faith as the necessary connection for his miracle power. To me, that is encouraging, not frightening. It's encouraging that Jesus says your faith is the connection I need for my miraculous power to flow. you see, here you and I are, we, we are struggling with doubts as to whether the Lord wants us walking on water. That was never the issue. The issue that Peter had was he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the circumstances. He never doubted whether he could walk on water because he knew he couldn't. And the fact that he was doing it didn't change the fact that he can't walk on water. He still can't walk on water. And the minute that he stopped thinking about come and started thinking about the ways he st- the facts took over. The natural facts took over when looking at Jesus was interrupted. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is encouraging because... God is willing. He's actually even eager, more than willing, He is eager to confirm His relationship with you through the manifestation of the Spirit if you will simply, without doubt, look to Him and come. Just look to Him and come. God is willing for you to step out of the boat. God doesn't think you can walk on water either. He didn't make you walk on water. He made ducks to walk on water. But guess what? God knows you can't walk on water. And even though you're saved and spirit-filled, guess what? You still can't walk on water. And you can't heal a blind eye. God knows you can't heal a blind eye. He's not asking you to believe that you can heal a blind eye. He's not changing the fact that you can't heal a blind eye. All He's saying is, look to me and say, Lord... If this is you, call me out of the boat and I'll come to you. When you're in a situation and there needs to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, be the one, be the one who says, Lord, call me out of the boat. I'm ready. I'll do it. Jesus will say, come on. And you just step out and do it. Just step out and do it. I can't tell you, I wish I had the time and I've run out of time, but how many times... I've seen wonderful miracles, deliverances, healing, people on their deathbed with cancer hooked up to monitors, instantly healed. I watched the Lord move and clear a whole bunch of children hooked up to monitors in um, uh, children's ICU, I forget what they call it, at Yale New Haven Hospital, healed a whole bunch of them just because someone got out of the boat. They didn't come up with the idea, I can heal, they just said, Jesus, Lord, call me into this situation. And as long as you look at him and know that, the man, that God wants to manifest through you. Can you imagine some, a Christian saying, Lord, the manifestation of the Spirit is, is given for, 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 for the profit of everybody move through me, and then have the thought, but our church doesn't believe in that. Yeah, the winds blow too, and the waves move and everything. It didn't stop Peter. Who cares what other people believe? It doesn't matter what people believe. Are you really governed by what your church believes, what other people believe? Be governed by what the Word of God says. What does God's Word say? say, well, our denomination doesn't believe that. Well, get a new denomination. If you can't stop being dominated by your denomination, if you can't stop being dominated by what everyone else around you does or doesn't do, in order to step out and obey God and let desire for the Holy Spirit, then go get some, go find some people that you can agree with. I think it's a good idea to just stay right where you're at and be the rebel that lets God have his way. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Just be the one that manifests the glory of God. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Understanding, desire, and faith. They're a lot more simple than they sound. And this morning, um, I I can't give a lesson on what the nine gifts of the Spirit are, but maybe I should do that soon to do some teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, But we can begin with desire today. Maybe some of the stuff that you've heard me say has stirred desire within you. Wow, never really thought of it. God wants to move through me. Could it be true? Could it be so? Of course it's so. Amen. Of course it's so. You heard, you heard it right out of the Word. Of, I, not because I preach it. The Word of God says it. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to you to profit everybody. So open up, man. Open up. It's time to The world needs it. The world needs you. The world needs you to obey God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Bow your heads. Let's pray.